Whoa there, horsey! Just before we get into the podcast, I want to let you know about a free event that we're running full of SMH and behaviour strategies that you can use to support the kids that you work with. It'll run on Tuesday the 11th of June 2024 at 7pm London time. We're going to take a real world behaviour issue submitted by a member of our community, pull it apart and offer solutions and strategies. And this month we're focusing on strategies for supporting pupils who become overwhelmed and go into freeze in the classroom rather than fight or flight. Our aim is for you to Walk away with lots of actionable ideas and insights that you can use straight away in your school. Plus, it's completely free. We're limited to 300 spaces, though, so grab yours now before they're all gone. I'll put a direct link to the registration page in the episode description. All you've got to do is tap on this episode in your podcast app. You'll see a link to the webinar. Follow that link, enter your details, and boom, you're done. Can't wait to see you there. The mind can be your very best friend and it can be your very worst enemy. And so training your mind uh, so that you can, you know, be on your own side is a skill that we can teach. Welcome to the School Behaviour Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Corrigan. My co-host is Emma Shackleton, and we're obsessed with helping teachers, school leaders, parents, and of course, students when classroom behaviour gets in the way of success. We're going to share the tried and tested secrets to classroom management, behavioural special needs, whole school strategy, and more, all with the aim of helping your students reach their true potential. Plus, we'll be letting you eavesdrop on our conversations with thought leaders from a around the world so you'll get to hear the latest evidence-based strategies before anyone else this is the school behavior secrets podcast hi there my name's simon Currigan, and welcome to this week's episode of the school behavior secrets podcast as ever we're broadcasting from behavior towers do come in but please also do be quiet uncle derek's just found his old service revolver and we've only counted him discharging five bullets so far might be a good idea to stand away from that window. I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Emma Shackleton. Hi, Emma. Hi, Simon. Hi, Emma. Before we get to this week's interview, I've got a question I've been dying to ask you. Okay. What would you like to know? According to a recent YouGov survey, how often do most people get low or sad or anxious on a Sunday evening in anticipation of the week ahead? The Sunday scaries. The possible answers are very often, fairly often, not very often, not often at all, and don't know. Where did most people sit in the survey? I feel like this will be quite high, but I wonder if that's because I know a lot of teachers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess fairly often. So this really surprised me, actually. But again, maybe that's because I'm from a teaching profession and I'm assuming they weren't counting the Sunday at the end of the school holiday. But this is the general population. This isn't teachers. Most people sat in the not often at all category at 36%. 27% were in the not very often column and the lowest number of all was very often. Okay. Well, I guess that's a good thing. How is that survey linked to today's episode? So today we're sharing my interview with Laura Bean, who's put together a really interesting curriculum that combines writing with meditation and mindfulness to help students show more self-compassion and understand and manage difficult emotions more successfully. Her work is more focused on secondary age children, but she has a really interesting approach. And I'm sure there's going to be something in here 
that you can take away and use with the children that you work with, whatever their age. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one. But before we go any further, if you've been enjoying the show, don't forget to give us an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Every review tells Apple to recommend the podcast to other listeners so that they can find the show and start getting the help that they need to support the children in their classrooms too. Leaving a review takes less than a minute, so please help us to grow the show. That said, here's Simon's interview with Laura Bean. I'm super excited to welcome our guest to the show, Laura Bean. Laura spent 10 years practicing meditation and teaching writing at the college level in Kyoto, Japan. She has an MFA in creative writing and her work has been featured at a mindful youth conference sponsored by the Center for Mindfulness at UC San Diego, in UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science magazine, and most recently in an anthology called Educating Mindfully, Stories of School Transformation Through Mindfulness Through the Coalition of Schools Educating Mindfully. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's great to have you here. And I know a lot of our listeners are interested in the benefits of mindfulness and how we can use those to support our students, especially the ones with sort of social and emotional and mental health needs. So I think this is going to be a really fascinating interview. Your work focuses on encouraging students to be more focused, more self-aware, more compassionate with themselves and their peers. Before we talk about your method for doing that, can you tell me about what got you interested in this area of teaching? Sure. So uh, as a young person, I dealt with a lot of negative self-talk. So this has really been my own personal journey. And as a classroom teacher, I saw my students dealing with so much stress and trauma and not feeling successful as students. So I really wanted to offer them a means for self-compassion, compassion for their classmates and to just give them a voice uh, so that they could talk about, you know, the stress and trauma. And, you know, I had kids uh, whispering to each other about drive-by shootings in their neighborhood. And I was being asked to teach a very dry academic curriculum that was just um, not giving me the means to, to connect with students and to build a relationship. So I wanted the curriculum to reflect uh, where students were at. I want to just unpack a couple of things you said there. And the first was about experiencing negative self-talk, which I think is something that affects lots of our students of all ages, actually. For those that are coming to this topic for the first time, can you just talk a little bit about what negative self-talk is and its effects? You know, it's the judgmental uh, voice, the, the self-critic. The mind can be your very best friend and it can be your very worst enemy. And so training your mind uh, so that you can, you know, be on your own side is a skill that we can teach. I want to pick up on what you said about the curriculum as well, because that's really interesting. I think it's really relevant right now, certainly post-COVID, as we've tried different ways of delivering curriculums, some more successful than others. When the curriculum is wrong, in your experience, what do you see from the students? How do they react and respond to that? You know, I taught in a middle school and I noticed that, you know, my students, there was just this real lack of engagement, even despondency, you know, in the students just with their head down. That's kind of a telltale sign. I had a student say to me, you know, why are there all white people in this book? Just really wanting to give them an opportunity to be creative and to bring their life experience into the classroom in a deep way. So your approach combines a reading and writing curriculum with teaching mindfulness practice. So can you talk to us about what is mindfulness 
And what does the research tell us about the benefits of practicing mindfulness? So, you know, mindfulness is building awareness of what's happening both inside ourselves and what's happening around us. So being fully present in the moment, and we can do that through, you know, paying attention to uh, sensations in our body, sounds around us, our breath. It's a very simple practice of just coming back and being present without, you know, thinking about the past or planning for the future, but actually just being here. And when we do this, what's the impact? Uh, students are uh, more focused. They're more grounded. They're more compassionate towards themselves and towards each other. They're less reactive. The benefits are just, you know, so broad and far reaching. Being able to sleep at night. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> This is a side note, but I think there's a chronically underslept generation of children, to be honest. Yeah. And probably a chronically underslept generation of teachers who are teaching them. That's how it's impact. So anything that's going to alleviate that issue is going to be welcome, I'm sure. You were going to sort of lead us through a 60-second mindfulness practice. Thank you. Yeah. So just taking a moment to connect with your feet, if you're on the floor or your bottom, if you're, you're on a bed or a cushion, and just connecting with the felt sense of the body. It's a practice of just dropping out of the thinking mind and connecting with the body, with the breath. If that's available, just, just taking full breath in and a breath out and a breath in and a breath out. In. And out. And it can really, really just be as as simple as that. You know, we do a lot of that in the class where I say, let's take three community breaths together. Yeah, it's a way of us all coming to the same place at the same time. What's interesting there was before we just started recording, we had some connection issues and we had to move from the platform where we normally record the podcast to Zoom. So there's a lot of rushing and a lot of organizing very, very quickly. And when I sat there and just thought about the moment and I felt my feet connected to the floor and I was thinking about my breathing, that kind of fell away. Mm -hmm. And those are very sort of transitory stresses. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that being very powerful if you've got a background of something like trauma, say, and you've got all these automatic thoughts and that kind of negative self-talk, almost being able to put that on mute for a moment, I imagine is very, very powerful for children. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, just to settle all of the, the agitation in the mind and to remember that, you know, the only place the body can be is in the present moment, but we can get so far away from our body and disconnected from our body. And really that the body is the anchor, which can be some very rough seas in the head. So yeah, so just returning to, you know, the home base. So you put your curriculum together called Right to the Core, which is an amazing name, by the way. I love that. <laughs> I love that wordplay. Thank you. So it's right for the listeners as in W-R-I-T-E, Right to the Core. What does the structure of one of your lessons look like? So if I was a student sitting there in a classroom, what would I experience this mixture, this coming together of literature and mindfulness? So thank you for asking. They would start with a quick five-minute write with the theme, whether it be uh, self-compassion or empathy or forgiveness. So they're 
bringing their own experience uh, to the table. And then I lead into a brief mindfulness practice, which normally like, you know, five minutes, something like that. And then at the end, reading the poem aloud. Uh, So the poem is like the anchor text that the whole lesson is really centered around. And then uh, there's a closed listening activity where students have a worksheet and fill in missing words uh, from the poem. So they end up, each student has a copy of the poem. And next they talk about just where they connect with the poem, words or phrases uh, that they appreciate. And then really just to think about what the poem is saying to them. You know, it's not so much an academic exercise as it is, you know, uh, a heart-centered, just connecting with what they appreciate and what it means to them. And then from there, there's a more academic component where there's more analysis and text-dependent questions. And then the grand finale is the writing templates where they get to uh, try their hand at writing their own version of the poem. Your curriculum has quite a strong focus on poetry. What led you to make that kind of structural choice about how you plan the curriculum through and and the activities you provide for the kids? Well, you know, poetry is very visceral. Uh, It involves all the five senses, very similar to a practice of mindfulness. And it deals with the emotional life, uh, which is something that I feel is just so important that we welcome at school. So, and it gives students a new perspective. And I feel like, you know, poets bring really the insight and and wisdom that's just so, um, so incredible for young people to be exposed to. And, you know, we're really under, especially here in the States, you know, very underexposed to poetry. And so this gives them an opportunity to really muck around, uh, not only to appreciate a poem, but also to try their hand and to engage with it on that much deeper level where they're actually creating their own poem based on the model. What kind of age ranges is this suitable for? Uh, middle and high school. I've written on every prompt in the book and uh, every writing template. And uh, so I feel like it's also very, very useful for adults as well. Your curriculum is very structured and it covers different aspects like managing different emotions and self-compassion and forgiveness. How did you choose those topics? Well, you know, as we mentioned earlier around student negative self-talk, you know, the self-doubt, the anxiety and depression, these are things that I saw, you know, day in and day out. And also, I mean, now post-pandemic, just for students to to re-engage again with each other uh, in a social environment, uh, there's a lot of a lot of emotions come up. Of course, the impact of social media is so huge and the negative impacts of it. So for students to really have a strong sense of themselves and a method for caring and returning to themselves, you know, it's just so critical. You know, my students dealt with a lot of loss. I work with English learners and uh, many of them are separated from their families across borders or have, you know, experienced tremendous violence. And so I shared a poem by Naomi Shiab Nye that's called Kindness. And the first line of the poem is, before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. And then I offered students the opportunity to write about a loss that they had experienced. And, you know, it could be anything from, you know, losing an earring or your your cell phone, which could be a huge loss, um, <laughs> but uh, or to, you know, something even greater, like, you know, a friend or, you know, someone in the family. And so I had a student named Edgar Uh, in middle school, who wrote about seeing his father's body um, after he had been 
murdered. And, you know, so being able to write about grief in this way, um, just, you know, being able to give a voice uh, to their emotions, it was just very, very impactful. Does the mindfulness component of the lesson kind of open the gateway to that a bit more? I believe so. I believe so. You know, that students are more, uh, they're more settled, they're more quiet inside. It's also a feeling of being safe in the environment, you know, so that we practice mindfulness as a community and, you know, again and again, offering ourselves of compassion and creating that container where people feel like it is safe enough to be able to share. Of course, it's not for every student, you know, and I always encourage them, you know, just, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing and, you know, on a scale from one to 10, at five or a three or four or five, something like that, you know, but sometimes the kids, they just blow me away with where they want to go and what they want to express. Given the right opportunity and the right framework and structure. Right. Can you tell us about a student success story that you've had using your approach of bringing together mindfulness and writing? Yeah, I had a student last year who was a 12th grader and she had been, you know, deeply impacted by her father uh, leaving her family. And I shared the poem called Revenge by Taha Muhammad Ali, which is a two-page long poem. And then I distilled a the, the most potent lines in the poem into this uh, template. And, and she wrote this poem called Father, and it's just nine lines long. And if I may, I'd like to read it. Absolutely. Okay. Father, at times I wish I could skin him alive while he watches. The man who made me unable to accept love and preoccupied his life with everything but me. But if it came to light when the man appeared, that he had a niece who loved to FaceTime every night and a mother who depended on him, then I would not harm him, even if I could. Well, wow, that's powerful. You can see that came from a deep, emotional, unresolved place, can't you? It's a space for them to, to really write about what's going on and then to share it. And it's a healthy way to express those emotions. A lot of the children that I work with and I know a lot of our listeners work with would find unhealthier ways to channel that emotion. But this seems like a very safe, structured way to explore what's going on in their lives. Yeah. And then just the, you know, the complexity around being able to forgive. So the poem is really a meditation on trying to come to forgiveness. It's not a simple fix, but to allow kids to know that, you know, there is a way forward. Laura, if you're a teacher or a parent listening to this podcast, What's the first step you can take today to start exploring and using this approach with their class? The first step um, is always to begin their own practice, to incorporate the practice of pausing throughout the day, to remember to take a breath, to look up at the sky, and then to begin sharing in their classrooms with their students or you know, with their children, because there's the urgency of the problem is so great that, you know, we really need to take an all hands on deck approach to supporting students' mental health, um, to working with anxiety and depression that they're feeling. And, you know, I have a couple of mindfulness tools that I have at the front of my classroom always. One is a, a vibratone, uh, which is percussion instrument. And another one is a, a Hoberman sphere, which you can expand and, and contract. And it's this very colorful 
I don't know if you know what those are, but anyway, there are two things that I use to help the students uh, to ground and to practice. And my kids, they're in high school and I cannot keep their hands off of those things. I mean, they just, (laughs) they absolutely want to practice and that the reason that I'm offering it is so that they can uh, find a safe place uh, within themselves where they can go when they're so hyperstimulated. Of course, it's, you know, my success rate is not 100%, but what's really helps is having students come up and lead practices, you know? So at the beginning of this year, I just thought, I just don't know if this is going to work. I mean, it was a rough road to hoe at the beginning of the year, but now here we are and, you know, I have students leading every practice. Uh, They come up and they they set the stage uh, for their, and serve there as, as models for their peers. Peer role modeling, very, very powerful as well, isn't it? Yeah. Can you tell us about how we can find out about your resources? I know you've got a mindful literacy website. You've got your right to the core curriculum. If our listeners are interested in those, how do they find out more about you and your resources? Yes, my website is uh, mindfulliteracy.com with two L's in the middle. And they could find my uh, curriculum, my book, uh, Right to the Core, uh, on my website. And there's also videos there of my work in the middle school and uh, some of the sample anthologies that I've created with kids. So a big part of it is allowing kids to see themselves as published authors and creating anthologies or performances at the end of a school year. And I'll put direct links to those in the show notes as well, the episode description. And finally, Laura, we ask this of all our guests, who's the key figure that's influenced you or what's the key book that you've read that's had the biggest impact on your approach to working with children? My mentor, Dr. Amy Saltzman, she's the author of Still Quiet Place and worked with uh, tweens and teens. And so when I came back from Japan, I was able to uh, observe her and train with her. And yeah, she supported me through this, this whole process and to where I am today. So I'm so appreciative of her and her role model. Laura, it's been really interesting listening about this innovative approach to combining literacy and mindfulness. And I'm sure all of our listeners will have taken something away there that they can start using with their own class immediately. Thank you very much for being on the show. Very nice to be here. Thank you, Simon. You can really see how combining literacy and emotional awareness and mindfulness could be a very powerful tool, actually because it helps with expressing those emotions and kind of puts emotional struggle into context. Yeah, I thought Laura had an interesting approach and I'll put direct links to her resources in the episode description for anyone who wants to find out more. And for anybody out there who's working with children who are struggling to manage big emotions, we've also got a free download that can help. It explains how to use a research-based approach called emotional scaling with the students that you work with to help them regulate emotions like anxiety and anger and frustration. It's called, wait for it, how to help children manage anger and other strong emotions. So it does what it says on the tin. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. This resource will give you lots of practical techniques that you can use with your students and it even includes printable resources for you to print and share. To get your free download, visit beaconschoolsupport.co.uk, click on the free resources section near the top, and you'll see that resource near the top of the page. Remember, it's called How to Help Children Manage Anger and Other Strong Emotions. And we've popped a direct link in the episode description to make things super easy for you. 
If you found today's show useful, then don't forget to subscribe. Subscribing is completely free of charge and ensures your podcast app downloads each and every episode as it's released so you never miss a thing. All you have to do is open up your podcast app after this episode and hit the subscribe button. And to celebrate subscribing, I recommend you build a fort out of pillows and blankets and declare yourself the supreme overlord of pillardom. Don't forget to introduce crippling levels of taxation to all who dwell in your realm. By the way, Emma, before we finish, how did you feel about episode 110? Uh, Episode 110? What happened in episode 110? Nothing. Bit of a classic. Very much the white album of our back catalogue. I definitely recommend everyone goes back and listens to episode 110. Okay. (laughs) But before you go and do that, I'd like to thank you for listening to the episode today. Feel free to recommend us to a friend and pass on the link to the podcast in any way that you normally share stuff. We hope you have a brilliant week and we look forward to talking to you next week on School Behaviour Secrets. Bye for now. Bye.